Welcome to the Mind Your P's and Q's podcast with Mind Your Manners Mediation. I'm your host, Attorney Abby Godless, chatting with you about important family law topics and giving you tips for navigating Arizona divorce and custody. Let's get chatting. Welcome back, everyone. In today's episode, we are going to be chatting the different styles that a mediator may use to actually oversee the mediation process. As a reminder for those who already listened or just as the new distinction for those who have not tuned in, the approaches go more to how the mediators will conduct the sessions themselves. So for instance, we discussed that they may have you both in person in the same room or they may have you in person in separate rooms and shuttle between you. Those go to the approaches for each session, whereas the styles we're going to discuss today are, again, about the overarching process. We are going to be discussing the three big styles, and then I'm also going to touch on a newer style that is gaining traction, and mediators may use truly a single style. However, I find that most of us do use a combo of styles. It both goes to the type of dispute we are mediating, although this episode, like all my episodes, will narrow the focus to family disputes, divorce and custody matters. Beyond the type of dispute that we're helping with, I also think that most mediators find in any given mediation session, mediation has this sense of openness about the communication because no matter the dispute, the parties are agreeing to sit down and work together to solve that dispute. And so the openness that is created does naturally allow for a flow between styles based on what's happening at kind of any given moment in an individual session. And the styles that may be used include evaluative, facilitative, and transformative. And then the additional newer style that we will chat at the end is the Mead Collab. Getting right into the first style, the evaluative style, these mediators are going to control both the procedure and outcome. And so oftentimes this style can be more helpful in civil disputes or those divorces and custody matters with an uneven power dynamic where mediation is a tool for furthering a long resolution of your dispute, but because of the uneven power dynamics, there is less of a guarantee you will in fact reach full settlement during mediation. Evaluative mediators are there to offer their opinions on the strengths and weaknesses of each party's position. And so they are going to control how and when the parties interact. This is modeled after settlement conferences overseen in court by judges. So you can understand why this is such a mediator controlled style and maybe not the best for family law. 
because they are there to evaluate. And those predictions, even though they are going to be based in knowledge and experience, can be viewed as a bias and can then derail the parties from otherwise successfully reaching settlement. Evaluative mediators are going to retain such control because, again, their purpose is specifically to evaluate and offer their thoughts. And these mediations are going to involve the mediator constantly assessing the situation, actively listening to the parties to make sure they fully understand what each party is offering. They are going to take this information that they have learned and they are going to evaluate each party's position and they are going to do so honestly. This is going to help the parties understand where they stand and can both help them appreciate where their bargaining power lies, but also keep any unrealistic positions in check. In addition to evaluating, they are going to take that evaluation one step further and actually offer their prediction of how each party's position would play out in court if the parties were not able to settle. And this is the specific part of the evaluation that is best going to help reorient either party's inflated sense of their own case. From here, the mediator is able to present recommendations. These suggestions may be informal immediately after giving their evaluation and prediction, or it can be formal in the form of a letter or other written statement presented to the parties to be used as their opening option to settlement. The suggestions are grounded in these evaluations and predictions and thus the mediator's knowledge and experience. And so knowing that the recommendation is based in such considerations can encourage the parties to consider a settlement, knowing the strengths of their case. And again, just knowing that so much consideration went into the recommendation made by their mediator. Finally, evaluative mediators often do separate the parties and work within that shuttle approach that we discussed, where because the parties are in separate rooms, the mediator is going back and forth, speaking with each of them separately, and then shuttles the information agreed to be shared with the other party. This does allow the mediator to shape the conversation and encourage the parties to consider weaknesses of their own case without fear of exposing those weaknesses and questions in front of the other party if they are in the same room. However, depending on the specific circumstances of a family law case, this may be helpful or hurtful to a divorce or custody matter. This is better suited to civil cases, but there are times where having the parties separate for a divorce or custody case does make most sense and does best encourage full settlement. Moving forward, facilitative mediation is grounded in the premise that by understanding the issues in dispute, each party is going to make compromises to resolve that dispute through a mutually beneficial resolution, and thus facilitative mediation depends on direct compromise and requires the parties to communicate reasonably effectively about the issues in dispute as well as their respective goals about those issues. 
This also means that even if the party's goals are divergent, which they're pretty much guaranteed to be if you're coming to mediation to resolve a dispute, facilitative mediation is going to achieve the needed compromise by enabling each party to be heard and through the mediator's guidance in understanding the opposing party's interests and goals. Facilitative mediators are there to control the procedure, but the parties are going to retain control of the outcome. This style of mediation gives the parties more freedom to be creative and find ways to bring their ideas closer to an actual settlement. But because the mediator is providing the structure of the process, it is going to provide the procedure and establish the needed boundaries for the parties to work within. That means that facilitative mediators are there to help collaborate and seek a resolution that both parties are fully comfortable agreeing to. They are going to help do this by questioning the parties, and this will help the parties articulate their underlying interests that are actually driving their demands, and also gives the parties a deeper understanding of what they need to settle, as well as giving the parties the ability to be creative with their suggestions. Similarly, while the facilitative mediator may help offer creative suggestions, they are not generally going to give their opinion or thoughts of the case as a whole or either party's specific position unless it's truly necessary and the parties do really need to hear the tough truth in order to get over a hump and get to that full settlement. This also means the facilitative mediator is there to help diffuse the strong emotions that are attached to the disputes bringing the parties to mediation. And occasionally, although in family cases, I would argue certainly more frequently, those emotions actually do also then come out in mediation. And in either regard, whether the parties are feeling those emotions or actually expressing those emotions, a facilitative mediator is going to encourage the parties to proceed with civility, diffuse their strong emotions, and by doing so, the mediator is going to help keep the parties on track and the conversation civil so that the parties do have that best chance at settlement. Facilitative mediators are also there to give the parties space and encourage them to acknowledge the other party's position and interests, which helps them then understand the other party's position and through the understanding is going to encourage settlement. Finally, facilitative mediation is usually going to be based in the approach where the parties are mainly in a joint session together, whether that is in the same physical location or the same virtual location. And the facilitative mediators are going to use individual caucuses to still allow parties to relay more sensitive details and questions they may be cautiously holding closer to their chest, not wanting to put that out in front of the other party. But by using this approach of mainly joint sessions where the parties are directly sharing with one another is striking the balance between control to ensure that the mediation stays on track and the conversation is moving forward with the empathy needed to actually negotiate a full settlement. 
The final main style is the transformative style, which is best a solution for parties who are reluctant to mediate due to their perceived inferior position because transformative mediation is there to do just that, transform. It focuses on equalizing the party's negotiating power in a controlled setting for the specific goal of resolving the legal dispute To be actually effective, however, the party in the perceived superior position usually needs to be prepared to acknowledge the uneven power dynamics and agree that the mediation style is there seeking to rebalance the party's positions. That means that transformative mediation is going to relinquish most of the control to the parties for both procedure and outcome because in working to transform the conflict, the transformative mediator needs to empower the parties to agree. That means that the transformative mediator is there to call attention to the needs, interests, values, and points of view of the other party to allow the parties to transform their relationship past the conflict and back to a strong and collaborative relationship. The transformative mediator doesn't know what that strong and collaborative relationship looked like. And so because you as the parties know best what you need, you are there to dictate a lot of that procedure and outcome. This also means that transformative mediation is very, very helpful when the preservation of a relationship is important to the parties. Transformative mediators are the most kind of ghost-like in their role of the different mediator styles. They are not going to offer an opinion on the strengths or weaknesses of either party's position. And this is unlike the facilitative mediator who may occasionally find there is real good cause to share their thoughts. The transformative mediator wants the parties to be confident in their decisions. They are not there to impose what would likely happen in court because the goal is to never end up in court. The goal is to transform the relationship. The transformative mediator is going to encourage the parties to evaluate their own position in relation to each other. They are less concerned with evaluating the party's positions from a legal standpoint. They want to empower the parties to do this for themselves. This allows the parties to reach their own conclusions, which in the purest form of transformative mediation, because as I mentioned at the start, most mediators just naturally flow between styles. But if a mediator is truly only using a transformative style, this is not going to work well for disputes that are entirely legal and would require you to head to court if no settlement was reached and where there is established law to follow and the judges are going to use that established law to make decisions for the parties during trial. The transformative mediator is basically going to lead from behind in the sense that they're going to follow the lead of what the parties dictate for process and outcome and use what the parties dictate for procedure and encourage them to continue participating under their own rules. 
Transformative mediators are also going to encourage empathy. And part of this involves acknowledging the other party's position, which allows each party to see the needs of the other party. Transformative mediators are still there to guide the parties as they move towards settlement, but unlike the other styles where they guide with other purpose, here they are guiding with the sole purpose of truly just helping the parties move forward towards settlement, as opposed to the other styles where by offering their thoughts and opinions, by offering creative suggestions, they may be acting more as an authority figure with the answers. Finally, transformative mediation is going to rely heavily, if not exclusively, on joint sessions because the parties are dictating the procedure and are driving the mediation. And in order for them to remain in charge of working through the conflict and transforming their relationship back to a strong one, separating the parties from each other removes that human element from the mediation and information. The parties are less empowered to repair and restore their relationship. They are at that point going through the mediator. So just a couple quick summary points on the three main styles before we end on the new style of Mead Collab. Each style, including Mead Collab, is named not to trick you and to tell you the main punchline of that style. The evaluative mediator is there to evaluate. The facilitative mediator is there to facilitate. The transformative mediator is there to transform. Family law cases are really benefited by the facilitative and transformative combo because this is the best chance for them to directly communicate for the brunt of the mediation, but have times in caucus where they are able to diffuse some of their emotions being separated from the other party for a bit. They're able to still have some confidentiality between themselves and the mediator to explore and express some more uneasy or unsure thoughts and questions. And at the same time that they're doing all of this good work towards full settlement, they are also being encouraged to repair and restore their relationship. For families with kids, you're going to have to find enough peace with one another to co-parent. So there may be times where an evaluative touch really gets the parties over a hump so that they don't end up in court where there is that established law and a trial if no agreement is reached. But by and large, a combo of facilitative and transformative is gonna give the parties the best balance of structure to empower them in reaching their own agreements and enough flexibility in the process by the mediator for the preservation of the relationship going forward. So finally, this Mead Collab style was developed and is gaining traction in those family law cases where there are DV issues. Its name is truly the shortened combo of mediation and the collaborative process. 
and it follows the Lego model of collaborative law, which is also just what it sounds like, the Lego building blocks, and is going to include foundational players and then build upon that base team based upon what the couple actually requires and will thus add professionals and create a team based on the specific needs and choices of the parties. Unlike collaborative process, the Mead Collab style of mediation is going to include the base players of obviously the parties themselves, but is also going to include a mediator who will maintain their role as the unbiased negotiation facilitator and will also include an attorney representative for each party. Other players that may come up in the Mead Collab style would be positions dictated by that DV presence and maybe an advocate, therapist, or other psych professional. Mead Collab embraces an attorney representative for the victim specifically as a safeguard. However, realistically, because there is going to be an attorney representing the abuser as well, the abuser's attorney would act as a safeguard for the exact opposite reasons. Basically, each attorney is going to not only keep the legal positions of each party in a realistic place because they're there to offer legal advice, but they can also act as somewhat of a cheerleader for the victim and really help work to empower their client to speak up. And on the abuser side, it's kind of the opposite of a cheerleader and is kind of the parent or the teacher, but is kind of there to, and I hesitate to say chide, the abuser is an adult, but we know that they have acted with bad behavior. And so their attorney can work to ensure their client is not bullying or otherwise antagonizing the victim. Conceptually, the Mead Collab style can be seen as inviting collaborative-minded attorneys into a family mediation or framing it from the exact opposite perspective, it can be seen as inviting a neutral mediator into collaborative sessions. Right now, this doesn't sound greatly different from represented mediation, where you are going to mediation with your own attorney, and also doesn't sound greatly different from collaborative process where you are having a team of professionals. So how is Mead Collab actually different from either of these scenarios? Well, in the collaborative process, a collaborative lawyer often feels they must balance the dual role of advocate and mediator because they are there representing their own client and thus are there to advocate. But at the same time, they're there to keep encouraging the parties to remain at the table working together. So they often feel pulled between these very different roles. So to avoid diminishing the ability to engage in the actual meaningful mediation aspect, this dual role is removed for the collaborative lawyer because you're just adding a new human to act as that neutral mediator. Further, when domestic violence is present, there is a greater emphasis on ensuring that the victim is protected. And in represented mediation, where the parties have litigating attorneys advocating for them, this heightened emphasis on victim protection can exacerbate the possibility that a lawyer's zealous advocacy inadvertently hinders the process and becomes an actual dysfunctional element. 
Finally, attorneys in represented mediation, as I just touched on, are litigating attorneys who remain first and foremost advocates for their clients. This means their clients' interests are being made superior to those of the mediation process. When you are working with these collaborative-minded attorneys in a Mead Collab mediation, these attorneys recognize the importance of flowing between process and outcome with the outcome informing the process. This means that they're not relinquishing their advocacy role, but they are recognizing the need to balance it with their commitment to the mediation process and the idea that we are all sitting down at the same table to work together to reach resolution on this dispute. And with that, those are the styles that a mediator may be using. The three big ones that you're going to see across the board include evaluative, facilitative, and transformative. However, if you have DV issues, I do recommend looking further into the Mead Collab style and working to locate a mediator who practices using this style. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next time to stay in the know. Any links mentioned and all credits and permissions can be found in the show notes. I'll catch you in our next episode.